I love it when we have those moments where we just sort of bask in a, a moment of worship and we're just singing. You can hear everybody singing around you. And just is a, for me, just a cool moment of worship. Well, uh, obviously, it is becoming a new year. And when I got the call Friday, I gave PD a call and said, So we got to do something Sunday. And so we've put something together, and here we go. So, uh, like I said, it is a new year, almost. And uh, many of us take stock of our lives. Some of us don't. (laughs) But some of us actually think, new year, maybe I should do something or take something out of my life. Uh, Whether it's a physical renewal, exercising, not one of my favorite things to do, but it is a necessary thing. There's also relationships. Maybe you're going to add a new relationship in your life or you need to remove a relationship from your life. And possibly the area of your spiritual growth. That usually is at the bottom of the list. Wanting to figure out how we can draw closer to God. Now we hear about being righteous and the new sermon series out of Matthew will have that aspect through it. And that's about all that you'll recognize today being part of Matthew's series. But, so uh, Tom will pick up on that when he gets back and the teaching team that will put that together. But what does being righteous really mean? We know it's by God's righteousness, righteousness we're being judged. And by that, we aren't his, we really aren't, isn't that standard, you know, that righteous standard for really, 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 really good people, or maybe for saints, or a demigod, if you're into the maverick, Marvel, Marvel uh, cartoon thing. We really think it's something for someone else, not for us normal peon people that have a job every day. We deal with normal family situations. We have a jerky boss. And, but to ask that real question, why? Why do I have to be righteous? What does that aspect really deal with my life? Why are we to strive for those attributes? And what do I really get out of it? What's the perk? So what is righteousness? Well, it's the quality of being morally right or justifiable. So whose morality, justice, compass do we choose? Do we follow yours? Do we follow yours? Or yours? Or mine? I like that idea that we follow mine. But perhaps not much, which today, it isn't much different than what's happening today. We are all following our own moral compass. And so we see so many different avenues of what is right and what is wrong. God's righteous qualities concern ethical conduct. You know, so long ago, most people followed the Judeo-Christian moral compass with no question. It was just what happened. It was part of the 
the DNA of our, our culture in the United States. But in the most recent years, people have begun to stray, stray from those or make up their own moral compass because of what was once moral seemed unfair and hard to follow. And I agree. To some extent, I agree with that. Following the moral compass of God is not an easy cake. Because the moral compass we follow is, though, about God and not ourselves. But to be fair, many, many, many moral guidelines of our past were actually formed by man and touted as God's. So the church blew it. We're making up our own prejudices and our biases and tagged it as God's. And the world is seeing through it now. And they're calling foul and moving on. So, I do not pretend to even figure out how to fix this thing. I can only deal with myself and try to focus myself on God. And hopefully these four things from Isaiah will help you. Because if we in the church community can begin to to move towards a righteous community of people, it will in turn encourage others when they see the righteous qualities are truly God-given and not man-given. So Isaiah 6, if you wanted to follow in Isaiah 6, I'm going to be just following a couple passages there. You know, the first thing we need to do in following a, a, a righteous and moral code would be, first of all, meet God. That is who we need to go to first. And it says there in verse 1, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. So when we meet God, we become acquainted with His righteous standards, which are, well, that would be too easy just to list them for you. I know, it's a total cop-out. But they are here in the Bible, and you need to read it. And then you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to be revealed through those righteous and moral code of ethics. And I say get in a small group. Get in a small group and struggle look at those things. How does that play out in your life? That doesn't happen in this room. It only happens in a smaller group setting where you're able to discuss with one another and seek what is happening in your personal life and your friend's personal life and how that intersects their their families. So the church wants to be hand-fed rather than dig into the Word and ask the Holy Spirit's leading and revelation and embrace it. Now, the second one, the first one is meet God. second one is uh, see your true self. So, self-awareness. See your true self. And that's in verse 5. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. An awesomeness of God's righteous standard reveals our own sin. Upon acknowledging His unrighteousness, our unrighteousness, I seek the covering of God. 
So when I come to self-awareness, I realize I'm not able to do this thing on my own, and I am allowed by God to take his covering and cover it around me. Do I know what all those qualities are? No. That's where study comes from. That's where sharpening our tool with one another, we discover what those righteous qualities are. So we have seek God, meet him first, then become self-aware of where you are in, in this grand scheme of what, how God intersects your life. Third, seek cleansing. And this is verse 7. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this is, has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. God finds a solution, and we can find a solution of, his, of our grievous sins by accepting God's graciousness, offer of forgiveness. Accepting forgiveness is a righteous step. No more, I'm not worthy. Why me? If only. Not to accept God's forgiveness is to turn your spiritual growth inward and shrivel up and die. You will be stuck in your life, sort of like a uh, Groundhog Day movie, you know, where he just over and over. And if we do not come to the realization of grace being extended to us, we will continue that perpetual of coming back into ourself and back into ourself and never realizing a full, complete life within Christ and our God. So meet God, become self-aware, seek cleansing, acceptance of grace, and for commissioned to be in God's service. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell the people. That's in verses 8 and 9 in chapter 6 of Isaiah. He gains desire and freedom to eagerly respond to God's purposes for him. Until we, we really have, that, have truly met him and we truly become self-aware of how God intersects our life, and we truly accept that forgiveness, that grace that is extended to us, we really don't want to do anything for anyone else. But we are so, so caught up in the forgiveness and what God has done for us, that is when it begins to overflow, and we want to, to help those and serve those around us. It's a natural process in the spiritual walk. Now, I could give you a list of God's righteous qualities, but you can Google search it. And uh, I encourage you not to do the, I got three out of ten, or whatever it might be when you look at the list. Because we just, that's just a checkmark thing. I'd rather you, uh, if you look for those, begin to seek God and what, what is there for me, God? What is your spirit speaking to me? The qualities of God we want to see in our lives need to be lived out according to his plan for you and the purposes he is destined for you. It takes time. And as you gain one aspect of God's righteousness, that will reveal another. And once that is brought into your life, that will reveal another. But it only comes through direct reading of God's Word, sharpening you. It isn't just picking one scripture at a time, and even short devotionals. This is digging into the Word and reading it in its entirety and seeing how God plays Himself out over and over and over again. 
Because not only do you benefit from these attributes, but the people around you benefit from them also because they see a better person, which makes them want to be a better person, which makes them want to be a better person, and so on. So the whole community benefits from each of us digging in deeply to his word. Now, we all want the abundant life, a righteous life, but we don't want to put in the time. Now, and that's sort of what small groups are about. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are a part of a small group? And if I asked you to raise your hands, I might say, oh, wow. Or I might say, oh, wow. You know, I'm not here to judge you. This is about you and God and how he, he, he speaks to you and he encourages you. Now, I have uh, two little dogs, Boo and Dobby, and they're not really well trained. They're spoiled rotten. And, you know, when I stand before them and I say, come here, Boo and Dobby, come here, they just sit there and look at me. Like, oh, what are you going to do for me? That's all they do until I kneel down. And then they, the tags start wet, the way, tails start wagging, and they come right up, and they, we just love on each other. They just, you know, it's just, it's a really fun bonding time with those puppies. But I, that's where I want to try to give you the perspective of a small group, because in this room, as I stand before you, I tell you all these things. You should do this. You should do this. We should, we should do this. But you sit there and say, oh, "Sure." But it's in this small group when we sit down together and we talk about our lives and we talk about the circumstances that are happening and the things that we find in Scripture and we rub shoulders and we begin to sharpen each other in those small groups. That cannot happen in a room like this. While this is good and it helps us move forward in some aspect, but there's no, no bite to it in the sense of, ah, I'm looking you in the eye now, you should be doing this, or this is what I should be doing. This is what I am doing. Do you see that in my life? That's what happens in the small groups. And that's where we learn about the righteous precepts of our God through study in His Word. Uh, Beth and I have developed, I think, a wonderful small group and I, I use the word, we have developed it. We came up with a concept, and the group has really come together well. And we call it the art of Scripture. Uh, we discuss, we have Scripture readings each week, and then we color in our Bibles throughout the week. And we put stickers in our Bible, and we do all different things. But we look at a piece of Scripture, and what does it say to us? And then when we get together, we discuss those. Some of us show what we've drawn. Some of us don't, because... They think, I can't draw them. That isn't the part of what it's about, but still, we, everybody get, we don't want to impose on anyone. But we get in that discussion group and really challenge each other in the sense of, well, that's what you saw. And then we see the colors and the things that play themselves out and find a, a little different perspective of what the Scripture was bringing out. And that wouldn't happen if I was just sitting in my own room, my own living room, writing and reading that. So it's a great way to sharpen each other. And uh, we, we uh, chat 
somewhat regularly. We've been not meeting much of December. And so our chat was uh, going through praying for each other uh, and what are the things that are up that we need to be doing. And uh, this came uh, from Connie last night as we were chatting with the group. Um, I put here, we didn't meet much during December, but we kept watch over each other. This was a quick note from Connie O'Dell from last night's encouraging chain of chat. I want to thank each of you for being part of my 2018. I'm looking forward to many more blessed opportunities with you in 2019. Your life is only as rich as your relationships. Do you believe that? The Ecclesiastes writer said, it was sad and senseless to do life alone. Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. We need community, and the older we get, the more real that concept rings true. Happy New Year. Connie. So my challenge to you is, don't let 2019 run by you and leave you wanting. What were you doing a year ago as we go from 17 to 18? Where were you in your spiritual walk? Have you moved from that place to now a year later? Where are you in relation to that? You know. If you have not moved, then I encourage you to seriously consider doing something in your life that will help your spiritual life just move forward for the purpose of God, the purposes that he has for you. Because if you don't, you'll be in the same place a year from now. The year will leave you wanting, ravaged by the wanting more in life, but lost is how to get ahead. The Word of God will refresh your soul and will help you discover your path to God's righteous renewal. I'm going to turn it over to PD. amazing dog stories. As a matter of fact, I don't even have a dog, despite uh, two little girls at home that would love to have a dog. But we do have what we like to call two dog-in-laws that come over frequently and visit, and no amount of kneeling will get those dogs to come near me. I don't know if that's a personal issue, probably something that we can work out within our small group. But as we look at 2019, right, FCC is going to go through a large transition, a big transition. And so we want someone, right, to come in and actually guide our church, a righteous individual, someone that has that moral, ethical compass, that ethical grounding. And the search committee, uh, which has already been formed, we already had our first meeting, which is great and fantastic. But when we're looking at qualifications for a candidate, I think that we all could probably shout out uh, several hundred specific qualities that we want in an individual. Okay, should they favor Ohio State or should they favor Michigan, right? These are all very important questions that we need to figure out. Do we want them to have a certain leadership style? Do we want them to be more authoritarian? Do we want them to have laissez-faire, kind of that hands-off approach? Do we want them to wear shoes while they're on stage? Do we want them to have hair, a ponytail, right? These are all sorts of qualifications that we're, that, that we're looking at. But I think that it's really important for us to actually go back to Scripture and look at the qualifications that God has uh, set out for leaders of our church. And I think these are actually great representations of what 
a, a righteous individual looks like. And, and again, like Tim said, there are many, many uh, you know, examples of this. But we're going to look uh, first at First Timothy chapter 3, and then we're going to jump over to Titus real quick. But first, in uh, chapter 3 of First Timothy, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to be the office of overseer or elder or preacher or pastor, it is a fine work he desires to do so. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, I really like that word, uh, but gentle, uh, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will, he, uh, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become uh, conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach uh, and the snare of the devil. So that was First Timothy. So if we go over to Titus real quick... Um, and in Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5, for this reason I left you in Crete. Actually, we're going to skip to verse 6 right now. Um, If any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having having children who believe, not accused of of, uh, dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not found in sordid gain. Uh, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute uh, those who are contradict. So these are some of those qualities, right, uh, of the individual that we need to that we need to find. So I like to put this in essentially three categories because this helps me organize and understand some of this stuff. So the first category I had, outward reputation and then inner disposition and then Christian experience. Within that outward reputation, we need someone that has good reputation, not only within the congregation but also outside of the congregation. They need to be well thought of. They need to be sound in their marriage. If they're having some marital issues or there's some other quality or character issues that we're seeing within the individual, do we really want them to come and lead our congregation? Uh, The inner disposition, they can't be selfish. They need to have a love for people. They need to be sensible. Uh, I'm sure that most of us have tried to deal with someone who's not sensible or reasonable. Um, But they need to be mature. They also need to be well-balanced and have self-control. They also need to have a Christ-like and a great devotion to God. They need to have the right disposition and attitude towards God and towards themselves. Someone that actually is able to have uh, a lot of self-reflection, able to see some areas in their lives that they, that they need to work on. And I think this is a good quality for all of us to have as well. Also, the Christian experience, right? Not a new convert, faithful at managing others as well as their household, and st- be a skillful teacher. So as FCC looks beyond our walls, to find somebody to help, to help lead us in 2019. Right, we need to find that righteous individual. We need to find that person that is not pugnacious, but is skillful in all the things that God has called to them. So I just ask that you guys 
continue to keep FCC in your prayer, that you continue to um, lift up the leaders in prayer as we, as we continue to walk through this. Um, and all of us are going to be able to participate within uh, the hiring of this new senior minister. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to continue in our worship. Father, we do thank you so much for the many blessings that you've given us for the, the season that, that, we are, that we're in. Father, I pray for 2019, not just for FCC, but for the individuals sitting in our pews, for the individuals that are a part of our congregation that aren't sitting in our pews, for the individuals that are outside. I just lift them, lift them up. You know their needs. You know their hearts. Father, as we look at 2019, spirituality is usually one of the last things on our list, just like Tim said. I pray that we become engaged in small groups, that we're able to sharpen each other as we continue to look through Scripture and dig through Scripture, that, Father, we really just try to become more Christ-like on a daily basis. And that can only be done uh, in community. It could only be done in those small, well, that's not true, but it, you know, having those small groups really does help. Father, I just, I just lift up this congregation as it goes through the transition of trying to find a, a new senior minister. I lift up the Caffreys as they go through a transition of, of stepping out into uh, a, new, a new role that they will be taking within our community. Father, it's it's hard. It's hard being it's hard being us. It's hard being me. But we are not here to, to find self-pity. We're not here to uh, put our needs in front of anything. But Father, we know that if we just continue to focus on you, we keep our eyes on you, keep our mind on you, and we continually seek that next step, that you will be faithful. Be with us, guide us, help us to, to find and, and be active in your will. To your name I pray.